So I'd like to uh, share a few thoughts from this uh, passage in Romans. My theme is accept one another. That's, that's my theme, accept one another. I'll take these things off. Now, we have to acknowledge that uh, we live in a world where there's just lots and lots of division. We've never witnessed so much division. Now, I can't say we didn't witness this kind of division in terms of what goes on in government because that would be just historically inaccurate. I mean, again, look at the 1960s alone. In the uh, in 1960s, you had a president of the United States who was assassinated. In uh, 68, you had the leader of the civil rights movement who was assassinated, Dr. King. You had Bobby Kennedy who was assassinated shortly after King was assassinated the same year. You had, um, and I include him in the group too, uh, Governor George Wallace, who they made an attempt on his life and he was crippled. I don't know if you folks remember George Wallace, the arch segregationist who said segregation today, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Okay, well, somebody made an attempt. He was running for the presidency. And I guess, right, just keep something in mind. Racism did not begin with Donald Trump, okay? I mean, just, just keep that in mind. George Wallace could outdo Donald Trump any day. And George Wallace once said that all a black man needed was a job and a bar of soap. Okay, so... That, that got Trump beat by miles. Uh, but we always had political turmoil uh, in this nation. It's bad now, there's uh, no question about it. But let's, let's keep in mind, we, the world is under the influence of the devil. But that kind of division and turmoil should not be taking place in God's house. You shouldn't have division in the church. That is contrary to the gospel. It goes against the grain of what the gospel is all about. The gospel brings unity. Look, I have to acknowledge turmoil didn't just begin in the church today, it always existed. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to a church that was divided. They may have even had a church split. And it was on racial lines. It was on the grounds of racial lines. And in chapter 14, verse 1, the apostle Paul wrote, Now accept the one who is weak in faith 
but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Well, the one weak in faith, he's referring to Jews who've accepted Jesus. Those are Jewish Christians. Then he says in chapter 15, verse 1, now we who are strong are to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Well, there he's talking to the Gentile Christians. Say, well, now look, no, the division between these two groups, one, the Jewish Christians and the other, the Gentile Christians, big divide there. But Paul says that should not happen in the church. And so that's why he says in verse seven, therefore, in the New American Standard, it says, therefore, accept one another. So now look, I don't, I'm not privy to every conflict in everything that takes place here. It's church, in, in this church, not a big church, but I'm not still privy. But we got divisions in church that shouldn't exist. Listen, let's not talk about this in an ethereal way that we can just talk about it in a general way. I mean, we got divisions in our church that shouldn't exist. Okay, I know you're going to get quiet on me, but that's okay. In spite of the fact that you get quiet, there shouldn't be division in the church. All right, that, that's the bottom line. You know, for whatever reason, and everybody can think of a legitimate reason why they shouldn't speak to this person, they shouldn't have any contact or relationship with that person in the church. Well, I want you to read these words very carefully in verse 7. Okay? Therefore, accept one another. Now, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Well, where's the standard for your acceptance? Is it your pet peeve? Is it because you have been injured or your eagle has been injured? Or do you use Christ as your model? Because what it says here in verse 7 is clear. He says, you ought to accept one another just the way, the same way, in fact, Christ accepted you. You, you got that? In, in the word um, that's used in verse 7, uh, just as. Kathos in Greek means in the very same way. Now let's think about this. Christ accepted you, but he never injured you, but you injured him. You were the rebels, not, not Christ. You were the ones he had to die for. You offended him. And in spite of his sinless perfection, he accepted you. I know he's sinless. Now, how can sinners not accept sinners if the sinless one accepted us? You got that point? Okay, let's not miss that. The very one who is sinless accepted you in spite of all that you did to him. And so sinners say, well, I can't accept him because, you know, he did this to me and he spoke to me this way. 
uh, he injured me that way. Well, that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus and how he accepted you. Now, you may say, hey, well, you know what? If you knew what I knew about that person, and if you knew what that person did to me, okay, well, why don't you just stop and think about what you did to Jesus? And why don't you just stop and take, take an inventory, think about what you did to him? I think that would change your attitude. If you can just take all that pride, because that's all it is, pride, and knock down that wall that you have erected, because God didn't erect a wall. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that he tore down the wall, but you erected your own little walls. So, sir, I don't need to talk to him. I don't need to have anything to do with that person. Now, listen, when I say you, I'm being, you know, I'm including me too. Some of you I didn't want to talk to. But anyway. <laughs> but, you know, that's not the, yeah, you know, that's not the attitude to have. The attitude is this. You do it based on, and by the way, no, accept one another. He says, keep on doing it. Because the, the, the uh, tense of the verb is in the present tense. means you keep on doing it. Keep accepting Well, then he says um, in verse 8, for I say, now follow me, for I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Now, that's loaded there. What, what the Apostle Paul says is that Jesus became a minister to the Jews. That's what that means. He became a minister to the Jews. But look at this part in verse 8. It says, on behalf of the truth. One thing we can be absolutely certain of. And that is if God makes a promise to you, God will keep it. That, that's what that's saying. If God makes a promise to you, he is going to keep the promise. He made loads of promises to the Jews in the Old Testament. And he's going to keep those promises. He's made loads of promises to you and me. And you can be assured that God is going to keep his promises. People will not always keep their promises, but God will keep his promises. And, and look, why does it say that? It says to confirm the promises given to the fathers. God doesn't have to promise us anything. He made the promises. Therefore, God obligated himself to you and to me, and he's going to see that those promises are fulfilled. You know, when you're going through something, we often forget about the word of God. We forget about what God said. And we just 
give ourselves over to our passions and we say, hey, you know what? I'm in a pickle. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. But didn't God promise to see you through? Well, if God made the promise, then that's all you need to rest in, his promise. He's going to see you through. Calvin Butts, passive Abyssinia Baptist Church, passed away on Friday. In Abyssinia, he was an influential figure in this city. But he had an impact on you, too. Now, I know you're saying, how in the world did Reverend Butts have an impact on us? He did. When I was in Bible college, God said, God promised I was going to be pastor. I was going to pastor a church. Okay, that's God made that promise. I'm going to pastor a church. Now, let me tell you something. Before I came to Kenilworth, I was candidating at another church called Antioch Baptist Church. Antioch was not like Kenilworth. Antioch was like Berean, big church. And people, I had that church in the bag. I'm telling you, I had it. I had it in the bag. I was going to be pastor at Antioch Baptist Church. Elliot had just left, Pastor Elliot. It just left. He went out to another church in, in Long Island. You know about that, Mason? I mean, uh, Pastor uh, Elliot um, went to another church called Antioch. And they, hey, I, had, I had that opportunity. And I went there and I preached. And let me tell you something. Folks were shouting all over the place. One guy said, you got this. Mm. Went back again, preached some more. I'm not preaching like I'm preaching up here. I'm telling you, I was preaching. I was throwing the, throwing the handkerchief. <laughs> Had the leg going, you know. <laughs> the good old black Baptist preacher. I was up there. I was calling in them pigs. Okay. And, and let me tell you what, what happened. There was a guy who was at Abyssinia and Butts, that's right, Butts called him up and said, you want to take this guy? This is the guy, that, this guy, right? forgot his name. He came in there and he got to church instead of me. Because Butts stepped in and said, no. Now, Butts didn't know me. So, I said, whoa, I just lost the church just like that. So I came here. Y'all asked me to be pastor. I said, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so do, you, do you understand what I mean when I say that butts had an impact on your life too? Because if Bus hadn't stepped in, 
I would have got it. But listen, God kept his promise. I became pastor of a church. And you know what? It wasn't, but God was just using him because God was redirecting me right over here into the Flatbush section because that was God's plan. Not Butt's plan, it was God's plan. So you can always rest in the promises of God. And look at this. He says, in now look at this carefully. I want you to look at this carefully. In verse 9, he says, and for the Gentiles. Now that's us. To glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Now, you know what's missing in verse 9 that you have in verse 8, but you don't have it in verse 9? Let me show it to you. In verse 8, you got the word promises. You see that? For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. But when it, and that's for the Jews. But when it comes to us, it says, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. No promises. God didn't promise your fathers anything. God didn't promise my fathers anything. But he saved us not because he entered into a covenant with us or he had a covenant he had to honor. He saved us because of mercy. And that's why he says in verse 7, for the Gentiles to glorify. See, you know why you should be happy? You know why you should be praising God? Because God showed us mercy. That's why. He didn't leave us out. And that's grounds for rejoicing. So that's why he says in verse 9, and for the Gentiles to glorify God. So every time you think of how good God has been to you, it says you need to glorify him. You know why? Because he didn't have to do it, but he did. And even though he did it, he did it so that you can be included in the program. You're not left out. You know what? I'm so happy God did not leave me out. See, see you ought to rejoice just for that alone. God didn't leave you out. God didn't forget about us. God, even though he wasn't obligated to, he still did it. And all I have to say is because of his mercy. So, so that's grounds for rejoicing. So you know what the church should look like? And understand me carefully. You know, you shouldn't have a, this kind of church and then that kind of church. You shouldn't have a black church and white church and a Latino church. God wants us all together. Look at verse 9 with me. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. That's uh, Psalm 18. That's coming from David. And David represents the Jews. 
And so what you have in verse 9 are the Jews saying, we are going to worship with the Gentiles. And then when you get to verse 10, again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. They quotes Deuteronomy, and now he addresses the Gentile. That's you and me. And then in verse 11, he includes everybody. And again, praise the Lord, all you, it should be nations, Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. You know what God wants going on in his church? He wants you to praise him. I mean, listen, it is not a option in this case, and I'm not giving you a prescription on how you ought to praise God, but I'm telling you, you ought to praise him because the Bible says that you ought to praise him. You know, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you ought to do is give praise to God and say, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to rise up this morning in my right mind. Thank you for giving me a portion of health in my body so that my limbs can operate. Thank you, God. That, that ought to be the very first thing you do when you get up in the morning. Don't run to the refrigerator. Get up in the morning and give praise to God. Say, God, you are worthy to be praised. I know a guy, used to minister with him every morning. He got up. He used to scream out, devil, I'm up. <laughs> like he was giving notice to the devil. Says, get ready. Well, that's what you're doing when you're praising God. You're giving notice to the devil that you're going to devote this day to him. See, that, that, that's what you ought to do. Say, I'm going to devote this whole day to you, God. It's your day. This is the day that the Lord have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. See, this is yours, God. I, I give it to you. So you use me the way you want me to be used. One of the great joys I have is on Wednesdays and Fridays when I can get up with the brothers and we can start our day off 7 o'clock in the morning. Start our day off with prayer, with singing, with study of the scripture. You can't beat it. You know, I wish we could do it every day. We just can't do it every day. But Wednesdays and Fridays are important to me because I get up and I can commune with the brothers and we can give God thanks for the day even before we begin our day. Because let's face it, you don't know what's going to happen during your day. You don't know what kind of news that you'll get. You may be waiting on a doctor's report and you don't know what that report contains. Uh, you may get a call from a relative about someone who passed away, whatever the case may be. The point is that if you dedicate that day to the Lord, you know, God will step in your situation and no matter what may come your way, God is in control of everything. See, that's why we call him the sovereign Lord. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. So therefore, I give him all the praise, honor, and I'm going to start my day off by talking to God. And, and let me let you know something else. When you praise him, look at verse 12. 
Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he will arise to rule over the nations. It says Gentiles here, but the nations. And him shall the nations hope, the Gentiles hope. Jesus is the one who rules. See, see, I don't care who you vote for. Just keep in mind, Jesus is in control. That's what it says here. He is the ruler. He rules the nations. He's, it's not just a question about what party is going to get into power. I mean, look, you got your preferences. I have my preferences. And I assume that most of the people here got the same preferences. But whatever that preference may be, it doesn't make any difference because Jesus is the sovereign king of the whole universe. And he rules and he's going to come back and rule this world with an iron rod. So what I'm telling you right now is that don't worry about the outcome. Just remember who's in charge. I have witnessed some folks come up against God's anointed because they thought they were in charge. They thought they had the last word. But I can guarantee you this, when you trust in God, that's why it says in him, you shall put your hope in. When your hope in Jesus, no matter what your enemy may think the outcome is, Jesus will step into the situation and he will show you who the real ruler is because he can turn that situation around and it can usher into your own glory. You have seen it over and over again how God just stepped in. Man thought he had the last word. But God says, I'll show you who's in charge. That's why you ought to praise him. <laughs> you ought to praise him when you get up. You ought to praise him when you leave the house. You ought to praise him when you turn that key on the ignition. You ought to praise him when you get back home and say, God, you're the one who got me home. You ought to praise him before you lie down. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. Hey, he is worthy to be praised. Because there is no one like Jesus.